Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of One Mic Night, the podcast that brings you story of people and artists on their journey, helping to guide, answer questions, and motivate you in the business and life. Thank you all for joining me on this long, long journey. We're now in season three, and we have reached a point where we are talking about a series of episodes. So this series that we're doing right now on One Mic Night is called the African Life Series. And today my guest is part of that series. He is an award-winning journalist for the foreign press. He's a writer and he's a host of his own Africa talk podcast. Please welcome Ni Akrafi to One Mic Night. Ni, how are you? I'm good, Marcus. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you're busy, busy man. <laughs> but listen, I have questions. Okay. First of all, who is Ni Akrofi? Oh, that's like a, a million dollar question. It sure uh, is. <laughs> <laughs> I can give a short answer to that. Um, I guess I'll say he's, uh, Ni Akrofi is a, um, a multimedia journalist and a writer, just as you introduced earlier. But I'm also a bit of a jack of all trades. I double in the arts. I've done some acting, some singing in the past. Yeah, but I like to think of myself more. But I like to identify myself more by my day job, which is to say I'm a journalist and a writer. And yeah, from Ghana and West Africa, and uh, I'm still trying to evolve day by day. You know, try to see how much I can stretch myself to do as many of the things that I know I can do. Like I said, I've done some acting, some writing, and all that. So yeah, trying to still identify and get to know myself better as the day goes by. Yeah. That seems to be the challenge with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk about where you were born. You were born in Ghana. Where in Ghana? Yeah, I was born in Accra, which is the capital um, of Ghana. So, and my father also happens to come from his tribe, happens to come from Accra, which is the capital. So yeah, you can say I'm a city. I've been a city boy through and through. Okay. <laughs> All That's my cool. life. Yeah. Tell us, tell us, what are you like? I want to like, I want to get a feel for what it's like there because, you know, just as an average uh, American, we don't really know what life is like, you know, in Ghana or where you're, where you're from. Give us a, mm. can you kind of give us a little piece? You said tribe. So what mm. is, what do you, what do you mean? What, what is life like there? Okay. So uh, first of all, I say Accra is a very, what we like to say, a cosmopolitan city because mm -hmm. We have people from all over the country living in Accra and the region that is called the Greater Accra region itself, like the way we have New York City out of New York State. Um, it's a very, it's the tiniest of the 10 regions we have in, in Ghana. Well, we used to have 10 now, they've created a few more, so we have more than 10 now, but it's the tiniest of the regions we have in the country. But I guess because it's the capital, that's where the administrative um, arm of the government is. The government itself is there, the parliament or the legislature is there itself. The judiciary is also there. So you have people from the north, the middle parts of the country, the coastal side, everybody trying to, you know, make a life as it were in Accra. So it is a very vibrant, uh, very colorful. And as I said, it's cosmopolitan. So you can see a lot of expatriates also that you'd see Americans on the streets, you hear French people speaking French on the street. Don't be surprised to hear some Spanish people. We have a fairly huge Indian community before I left as well. So it's like a melting pot, just like New York City is. You can find 
people from all walks of life in Accra uh, doing all sorts of business. Yeah. Is is tourism uh, the big import there? I mean, like agriculture or is to, I'm sure tourism plays a huge part. Yeah. Tourism, actually, yeah, yeah. it does contribute a huge uh, a chunk to the national economy because we have lots of tourist sites um, all over the country. Um, Accra, just like New York, has its own tourism sites, but it's not like the natural resources type of tourism that you would find. It's more monuments, like where the first president of the country was buried. We have the zoo. We have a thriving art market called Art Center. We have the National Theater, which is where every performance plays, music concerts, a lot of stuff happen over there as well. Hmm. Um, you have like Jamestown, which is my hometown, which has now become the scene for this vibrant art festival, annual art festival called Talawati Street Art Festival, which happens every year in August. So it draws lots of people to that part of the city as well. So. Yeah, tourism does play a crucial role. I think at one point it was our number one foreign um, income earner at one point, but it, it often fluctuates between that and uh, cocoa. We are also the world's mm. second of cocoa. Really? I, yeah. I didn't so, know that. Well, you know, probably the chocolate you've been eating here comes from my country. Really? <laughs> Except that we don't produce all of it. Uh, so a lot of the cocoa beans are exported to other countries, especially to Switzerland, and then they tend to make the chocolates out of them and then ship them to other parts of the world. So there's a high probability of eating some Ghanaian cocoa, which has been made into chocolate, all your chocolate drink that you've been drinking. Yeah. Interesting. I had no idea. Okay. <laughs> what was like life growing up like for you? What was it? Like. It was um, it was a great life, I'd say. Uh, I grew up, I spent my, uh, I think my, yeah, I spent my formative years between my father's place, my father's residence, and then my grandmother's residence, or like my grandparents, because the house belonged to my grandfather. But after my father died, my mom and I moved back in to live with my grandmother and my, ex and her extended family, essentially, afterwards. So, I grew up in a, in a large house, lots of cousins, lots of aunts, lots of uncles around. So I learned everything uh, and a lot of things. Like I learned to cook while living with them because cooking was interestingly in a, in a traditional African sense, they'll tell you, oh, cooking is not for the man, it's for the woman and all that. But that wasn't the case in the house I grew up in. My uncles would cook, even though some of them were married, they would cook for the you know, for their wives and kids as well. And those who are not married will cook by themselves for themselves. So I also learned to cook over there. I learned to, you know, be more empathetic, you know, because you are, you know, with different people. Everybody has, is dealing with something. Yes, each and every for day. sure. So you have to, and it takes a village. So when my mom is not a, around, the other, has siblings, her mother, my other uncles and aunts step into take care of me as well so I learned all of that and it was a happy childhood for me I, I must say I was a bit of a troublemaker but uh, you know it takes a village so they whip you in line as, as soon as <laughs> off the rails yeah so that troublemaker probably helped helped you gain your career a little bit too because you're probably inquisitive you probably were curious and a lot of absolutely yeah yeah mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because as far as I can remember, I don't remember a lot of my childhood, but I know I've always been the child who likes to ask questions. 
And sometimes you're told, no, you don't have to ask this question. You know, kids don't have to know about this yet. Or no, you can't ask an adult this question. But yeah, well, my little mind wants to know why. <laughs> so I will ask whether I get an answer or not. That's entirely different. Yeah. That's great. What's the school system like there? Okay, so we have, well, I think we kind of inherited the British system, but we evolved over time. So we used to have, um, you used to get, when you get to high school, you had what they call the ordinary level and the advanced level, but that was scrapped. By the time I went to high school, it was straightforward. So you do um, early childhood, kindergarten, then you do um, the basics, which is like first grade to sixth grade. Then you have junior high school, which is usually three years. Then after that, you have high school, which is... um, Another three years. I went through a period when they were experimenting with the high school system. So I did just two and a half years of high school instead of three years. <laughs> what do you mean? They, they only, what, what, you were excelling in the, in the school and they placed you out? Or no, well, just, my, my, cohort, my cohort as a general, everyone that went to high school in uh, what is, 2001, we all ended up doing just two and a half years because I think the government at the time was, playing with the idea, do we really need three years to give these kids high school education? How about we give them just two and a half years because some of the things they are going to learn, they've learned some part of it already in junior high. So maybe they don't need to stay for another three years to make it six years of high school or something like that. I don't know what they were thinking, but I like to think that was the idea. So we did two and a half years, but it's gone back to three years now. And then after that, you either go to college or... Yeah, whatever your future holds. <laughs> what, so when you when you exited, I guess, the high school or the last few years of school, what was your age? Uh, do I even remember now? I guess I must have been 18. Yeah, I think I was 18 when I left high school. Right. So that's about the same as here in the U.S. Yeah. 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 So Because I started journalism school. Or, yeah, I think I started journalism school at 19. That's when I start my journalism career. Start. I know my journalism career started at age 19. So, yeah, I must have exited at 18. And then I went straight into journalism school. Gotcha. When did you find out you wanted to be a journalism? Was there a time that you just knew that you wanted to work in media? and? Yeah, I, I, it, it was a childhood dream. I had way too many dreams as a child, really, honestly. I didn't have one specific career path that which actually is a, it turns out to be a good thing like a lot of times yeah. we think that you know dreaming and you know you need to be more focused that's the way they teach us here in the exactly. states you got to be focused on one thing but i think mm-hmm. just the opposite i'm sorry go ahead yeah no no that's fine so um as a kid i wanted to do so many different things but journalism came in much earlier when i think i was about seven or eight one of my cousins was the news anchor on the state broadcaster so one, I remember one evening I saw her reading and I said to my uncle who was visiting at the time, you know, what? when I grow up, I want to be like my cousin reading the news on TV. And it was like, no, no, no way. You don't want to do that. I want you to be a lawyer, you know. So when we have disputes in the family that needs a lawyer's perspective or whatever, you can do it. And I said, no, I really don't think I want law. Then, of course, I, w- I started school as I aged. I think we had career day when I was in junior high school and they told us about, oh, you know, we have these state, um, we have these bungalows, we call them, uh, public housing provided for dentists across the country, but we don't have too many dentists. 
uh, in the system. So I thought, huh, that would be interesting. Why don't I become a dentist? I don't have to rent. I don't have to pay rent. The government is going to give me free accommodation. That's great. But then by my final year in high in junior high school, I, I was falling in love deeper and deeper with biology. So I said, you know what? I just want to be a surgeon. Just cut people up, see what's inside the human body. And that was really? the only reason I wanted to be a surgeon. That's <laughs> Not funny. because I wanted to heal people or help <laughs> them. No, I, just, I was just curious about what's inside the human body. You know, once you take off this flesh that we all kind of fight over sometimes about whether you're dark skin or light skin, when you cut it open, what's underneath? That has always intrigued me and it still intrigues me till, till today. So journalism actually came because when I got to high school, I joined the drama club. Mm-hmm. And one of the seniors there um, helped me find myself as a writer at that point. So uh, when he graduated and I was going to my second year, I said, you know what? I think I want to be a writer when I grow up, but we don't have writing programs in Ghana. So how do I do it? And at that time he had started the, going to the Institute of Journalism. And he said, well, you can come here. They train people to write, but it's for the news. It's not the type of writing you want to do. Just try it. If you like it, good. If not, you can do something else. So my mom had wanted me to go to the traditional college, do traditional stuff. But I said, no, I want to be a writer. We tried some writing programs in the UK. I didn't have, we didn't have the money to pay for it. So I said, okay, you know what, scrap it. I'll go to the journalism school and find myself as a writer. And then just start writing from there. But I did my first year internship at a radio station called Joy FM. And I guess they liked me (laughs) because (laughs) I was supposed to do just one month over there, but they made me do both months of my internship over there. And after the second month, they said, oh, how about, would you want to be like a weekend worker? You come here on Friday after school and then work Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I said, sure, why not? So I stayed on and then journalism became my career kind of by default. So interesting. I like that. You you touched a couple of on a couple of points that I'm interested in. So living in Ghana, living where you live in a say the name again, Akosti? Accra. Accra. Yeah. Um what was the what was the media like? What was the TV like? You said it, it's a British so it's a British colony. So yeah. we're seeing a lot of, you know, Guyanese Ghanaians, I'm sorry, on Ghanaians yeah, uh, yeah. on TV. Or mm-hmm. were you seeing more British? Were you seeing more, like, what were your role models? You know what I mean? Like, coming from there, yeah. how would you, was, was the idea of being in media something that was really, like, possible for you? Or was it, did oh, yeah, most people it, feel like it was a dream? It was possible because um, private media, and let me say, actually, private radio started in Ghana, I think, in 1995. So I was, you know, I was still in my formative years at the time, but it became possible that you don't have to listen to the same, the only station that is run by the government. You had another option now. And by the time I finished junior high school, went to high school, we had multiple private radio stations. So Uh, it was easy for me to fancy becoming um, a a media person, a personality person. At one point, I even wanted to be like a disc jockey on radio and just have my own show and play music. And it was easy to dream about that because, I mean, you tune in the radio, turn the dial, chances are you fall on a private radio station, you hear someone doing it. So, yeah, it wasn't a far-fetched dream. But I guess when I started doing media itself or when I started 
getting into that space of, no, I think I want to be a journalist type of thing. At that point, I would say a lot of the influences I had were from the BBC, that's the British um, Broadcasting, both the radio and TV, and then CNN, which I was able to get access to back home. So at that point, I said, I'd like to be a journalist, but then I hope to become an international journalist. So it wasn't a limited dream of just being a journalist and working in Ghana. It became being a journalist and being able to, you know, be having an impact around the world. Around the world, yeah. I guess that's good because you can't, you know, like you said, it's if that's in 95, the, I guess like the internet became mm-hmm. really big in 95. Mm-hmm. I'm one. Yeah. I want to think. Yeah. Think, so yeah, that, that helped to mm-hmm, produce more, uh, more online radio and more privatized businesses. Well, online radio didn't come in until much later. I think in the 2000. In 2000. Okay. I haven't a lot of them yet. Yeah. But I guess maybe having access to more things mm-hmm. through the internet yeah. and, you know, exactly. um, probably came into to play in 95 mm-hmm. for you. That's great. What, um, so from there, after journalism, how did, where did you go? Well, so after my, <laughs> my journalism college. training, mm-hmm. yeah, I went back to college because my mom, she wanted me to go to college. So I said, uh, okay, because in, in at the journalism institute, I did an associate, which was just for two years so she's like uh you know journalism is becoming competitive because this was in what 2005 ish thereabout and you know there's the need for career progression because you don't want to be a junior reporter for the rest of your life you want to grow up become a senior reporter become and if you in my case you're dreaming of becoming an international journalist then you need to do more so i went back to college I, but before I did, I taught myself Spanish for like a few months. And so I chose as my programs to re, uh, for college, French, Spanish, and sociology. And I was doing very well in Spanish, but then I started realizing there was a conflict between my Spanish and my French. Like I go for a French oral exam and I hear myself speaking or dropping <laughs> Spanish words in, and the reverse happens when I'm in the Spanish orals. I'm like, uh, and then I'll mention the French word instead of the English word that I want them to help me with the Spanish translation. So, so I spoke to one of my academic advisors and he was like, well, we are surrounded by Francophone countries. So I would say stick with French. Since you taught yourself Spanish, you could always go back and teach yourself or refreshing or polish up the Spanish as it were. So I ended up doing a double major in French and sociology. Uh, yeah, graduated from college in twenty ten. Yeah. Okay, and you did some private reporting. You worked for who did you yeah. work for when you when you did that? So well, I I worked with Joy FM till I started college, and then I started writing for a newspaper because um, my boss at the newspaper had been with me at radio at Joy FM, and he had started his own newspaper, and he said, "Would you like to write for me?" and his schedule was more flexible because you know college you have classes at this time then you have like a long break and then you have another class in the evening or something Mm -hmm. and his was such that i could do an interview today and not rush to write the story and actually finish with my classes for the day and go back to work on the story so i stuck with him between 2007 and 2011 so i was working with the newspaper and then i started acting alongside as well till 2011 when I went back to visit my 
former colleagues at um, radio, they had started a TV station at the time. And I went to say hello to my former radio boss, who was now the boss at TV, because a friend told me he was there. I went to say hello to him, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, good. It's, it's good you're here. You know, we're starting a TV station. We need news people. What are you doing now? And I told him what I was doing with the newspaper. He said, have you ever thought of doing TV? I said, oh, yeah, I've thought about it. I've actually put in an application to um, a TV station, but I'm yet to hear from them. So he said, well, why don't you come and work with us? And I said, sure. So I worked with them between 2011 and, and till the end of 2015. I was a news anchor, news producer. And then in 2016, I left to work with a Pan-African television station in Congo Brazzaville. And that was until 2018 when I came to the States to do my master's. Mm. Okay. Well, you have a good memory. I can't even remember my lines for theaters. You just remember all the dates. <laughs> well, don't ask me any of the lines for my theater days because I don't think I remember any of them either. <laughs> Hilarious. So then fast forward to 2018, you came here and where did you go to school? Um, Adelphi University on uh, Long Island. Okay. Great school. Yeah. And you continued on in media and journalism? No. Well, surprisingly, I at the time, I, I felt... I guess I can call it media fatigue. I, I was like, okay, I've done this media thing up until that point, a little over 10 years. And I wanted to try something new. So I came in to do a creative writing program because don't forget in high school, I, I found myself as a writer and I wanted to be a writer. So I said, you know, yeah, let me just do that instead of going back to doing something media related. Because at that time I had in my head that you know, after my master's, that's it. I'm done with the media. Not working in the media anymore. I'm just going to be a writer for life. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, that's not really what happened. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the story. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. You see how those two worlds collided? Yep. That's really funny. Just like my French and Spanish. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's funny. I have the same problem, too. I studied French. I double majored in French and theater, but I speak Spanish, too. So I do the yeah. same thing. I switch back and forth. Exactly. Um, that's hilarious. So on to, let me ask you this. What do you feel is your impact on the world? Ooh, how do I even answer that question? Yeah. Um, if you had asked me this a few months or probably even a year ago, I'd probably say I don't know. And that would be the honest truth even though I feel like my reporting should or has made some impact. But, you know, usually as journalists, we are just on the grind every day, chasing one story or the other. So personally, I don't even take a break to look at what kind of impact my work is having. But since I started my podcast with my, one of my former colleagues and friends, I think I can say that my impact so far has been trying to lift the, the veil off for the rest of the world to see Africa really as it is because there's so many ideas about Africa as a continent out there, be it in Europe, be it in Asia, be it in the Americas. It's like people have different ideas. Some are true, some are fictional. And, and like when Black Panther came, it took it to a whole new level. Yes, it did. It did. 
suddenly started believing, oh, we've underestimated these people, so they have this superpower, they, they're like the child. No, we are not exactly like the child, <laughs> but we are not also as poor as you think we are, because a lot of the minerals that are used around the world actually come from Africa. They are mined in Africa and supplied to the world. Like uh, That's the, a whole other conversation we could get into. Absolutely. Exactly. Right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the things that are used to produce these batteries that we have in our cell phones and all that, they are mined from Africa. But, you know, people don't know all of that. And yes. They just look at us and they look at these pictures of the starving kids that make the headlines sometimes and they think that's all there is to Africa. So, at least for the two seasons we've been doing this show and with the kind of stories we've told from the people, allowed people to tell, actually, I think I should put it that way because of the people telling their own stories, really. I feel like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm helping in a way to demystify the African continent and, and helping people see that, yeah, there is more to Africa than just, you know, what meets the eye. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And that's why I asked you this question, because I want to tell you, I mean, I'm going to break the, the fourth wall here because I do know you. And I have to say yeah. that in the short amount of time that you've been doing this podcast, it's become one of my favorites. I listen oh, to thank it. you. Mm -hmm. So I encourage everybody. So please tell everybody the name of the podcast again. The Africa Talk Podcast. And I encourage everybody to listen to this podcast because you, you exactly what you said, you're demystifying you know, these myths about Africa and you're taking people's stories. And I have mm -hmm. to say that you have inspired me to, oh. this is why I'm doing the Africa life series. Okay. Because you as a podcaster <laughs> have inspired me to learn more. And my resolution for 2022, and I keep saying this all the time was to learn as much as possible. This hey. is the avenue that I'm going down right now because I've been opened up and I have questions and I want to know all these myths that we have about and things that I don't know that I can ask and I can listen to your podcast and I learn and I hear people's individual stories. Um, there's also another myth that, that sort of circulates between African Americans and Africans. That, well, you know, African Americans don't take advantage of what's given here. We're lazy. We're this. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, I, yeah. I have. And I also have questions yeah. when it comes to that because sometimes I, I don't know because you you sometimes, I since I've been here, I've watched a lot of documentaries, especially the ones that have to do with slavery and all. And even when you hear commentators speak on TV or on radio and they talk about how slaves built America and all that, and I'm like, so why is there that perception that African-Americans are lazy if, you know, their ancestors technically built a lot of what exists today as America. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the, you know, we can get into a discussion about that too on another uh, time, but uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, well, it's a systemic thing that's happened here, you know, mm -hmm. on the backs, this country was built on, you know, the indigenous people, um, mm -hmm. you know, the African-Americans who were the first, uh, ones sold you know as uh um what's the word i'm looking for uh commercial Play. products yeah yeah okay you know that's mm -hmm. the first commercialism you know african americans mm -hmm. being sold yeah. here yeah so you know there's a whole uh history that this country has that um 
Africa has in a different way, you know, like the countries went in, like the UK, Britain, Great Britain, um, France, Spain, Portugal, and took the resources, uh -huh. you know, and that's, as we talked about earlier, that's where batteries come from. That's where cocoa comes from. That's where, uh -huh. you know, and they, they, they pillage, you know, the country. Yeah. So I don't want to get too deep into that, but you know, that's where those, those, uh, ideas come from. And what I wanted to do with the series and with you in particular was to, like you said, demystify that and yeah. have a global outlook and find ways that we can come together as communities, as African-Americans, as people, as black people, mm -hmm. people of color and join forces and learn more about each other. And with mm. your podcast, you do that. And, and I commend you for that. Thank you. And I think the more I think about it, I think it's also because like a lot of, I hear black people say very often, and I think they've said it so much that people think it sounds like a broken record, that the system is against them. And in a lot of ways, it is true because if you're striving to do something, but it's not really working for you all because you're facing too many red tapes along the way, mm -hmm. how do you expect that person to excel exactly. if you can't even get a, sing a simple loan to start a business? Right. And if you look deep down and it comes to simply because of the color of his skin, then you can't tell me that that person is lazy because that person is actually trying. Right. He or she was trying to get a loan, but the system was, or there was just too many bureaucratic tapes to get through. And at the end of the day, someone decided, oh no, some, that's it, you're not getting it. I don't see how you can say that such a person is lazy. Right, and you know, you're talking about the United States where the laws are built against us, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, you're considered three fifths of a person. Yeah. You know, and you're sold yeah. as a commodity. You're sold as, uh, yeah, yeah, like you're just not acknowledged. You have no voting rights. Uh -huh. You know, for a while, and then so you're slowly gaining footage in a, in a country, and so which is interesting. You said that about the bank because yesterday Bank of America announced that they were targeting black and Hispanics in this country to give them loans to start owning uh -huh. homes, first time home buyers. See? So they're, they're doing it as a trial in, four, one, two, three, I think, five different cities to okay. see if they can help people of color start to own things in the country. So mm -hmm. now we're seeing, I've, I'm happy because we're seeing a shift exactly. you know, towards equality. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if you give that effort out and then it doesn't work and you still hold that perception, then I won't be brought you because, yeah, you can say we did the experiment and it failed because they really didn't want to do it or they really didn't want to pull their weight. But if you haven't really given people the chance to, you know, try something out and you just make up your mind about them and decide to decline, decline, decline all the time, then I don't think you're being fair in, in the way you assess them at just saying, oh, these people don't want to work or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And we see a shift in everything. You know, we have to have acceptance of people. And I don't mean just yeah. black people, just all people. It's exactly. Not, it's not a matter of tolerating what people mm -hmm. do. It's a matter of accepting that we're all different and that there's something yep. to learn from mm -hmm. every culture. Exactly. You know? And here exactly. in New York, we're a little bit fortunate because we have such diversity that mm -hmm. we know if we sit on the train, we may be sitting next to someone from China who's sitting exactly. next to someone from Jamaica, who's sitting mm -hmm. next to someone from England, you yep. know, and in the midst of it all, we have to be accepting uh, that our cultures are different, mm -hmm. but our needs are all the same. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. Yeah, we all need all the shelter, same. we all need food, right. we all need 
to their clothing, we all need work. Exactly. So, yeah. And we have to treat each other with compassion and empathy, yep. Yep. you know, and, and survival. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What do you want us to know about uh, who you are and what you do with your podcast? And Ooh. where do you see your life going? Um, with the podcast, well, like I said, initially, the idea is to, to demystify Africa as much as possible because my friend whom I started with, um, Benjamin, he had wanted to do a podcast and came to me and said, oh, I have this idea for a podcast, but it was mostly for a news podcast. And I had had an idea of doing a podcast as far back as uh, 2016, but it was a different form of podcast. So when we finally sat and started thinking, and this, the podcast in its current format is something that I started dealing with more when I came here and started my, my master's program because I was doing a lot of writing and I realized I've lived my whole life on the African continent. I mean, I've visited a few countries in Africa, I've visited Europe once and all that. So every experience I know and can write about authentically is from an African perspective. But there isn't that much African perspective or presence in the media here, especially in the mainstream media. You. I mean, once in a while you hear about an African who did something, but yeah, at the end of the day, you don't really even get to know that person that well. Right. So I said, why don't we come up with something that gives Africans also a voice? Because if people think of us in this way and that way, and I hear a lot of African friends who have been here much longer talking about how they always have to explain Africa to people. Fortunately, I don't in a rather weird way, I haven't had that much of a problem having to explain myself in Africa to people. Surprisingly, almost everyone I've encountered seems, well, either they know about Africa already or they just aren't interested. They haven't really asked me those questions that people say like, oh, do you guys all live on trees? Do you have pets? Like, do you have lions as pets and all that? I haven't, honestly, I've never had any of those questions asked of me. But then I said, if there are people out there being asked these questions, why don't we let people also know that when you have Africans in your midst, be it in Europe or in America or in Asia or whatever, they are there to add value to you because they, believe it or not, a lot of Africans come into the United States and into in Great Britain in particular, already with a bachelor's degree, like me. Wow. They come yeah. to have their master's degree and then they realize, you know what, why don't I just stay here, harness my skills further? Because it's one thing to just learn it in the classroom and then just say, hey, I'm ready, go out and work. But if you are here and you can take advantage of the system, not take advantage of the bad, okay, that's the wrong way. If you are here and you can enhance your skills or sharpen your skills, you know, whilst you're here and become a much better version of the person you were before you came in, sure, why not? Take advantage of it. So the season started, for instance, with one of my professors from Adelphi who came here just like me as a, a graduate student. And she now is one of the um, associate provosts at Adelphi. She's really high up there in terms of ranking. So it goes to show that if you give people the chance, they can really shine. And those are the stories I've been trying to I'm trying to put out there about Africans so that people, I mean, besides what you think about the continent, think of us, the people also, as people who 
actually are worth something, people who have talents, who have skills, just like everybody else. And given the right environment and the right conditions, we do shine and we can shine and we are shining all the time. So that's what I'm trying to achieve with the podcast that, you know, let the world know there are people out there doing that. One of my friends who I spoke to also in season one, Effie, she's Ghanaian, but born in Australia. Today, she's part of the Harry Potter on Broadway, uh, Harry Potter and the Cast Child on Broadway in Melbourne. This is a Ghanaian who started Beautiful. out. Yeah. Exactly. Excellent. Started her career, not having much finally got a chance to be in The Great Gatsby, the movie with Leo uh, DiCaprio. Love it. You, you, Love I, it. I, I've seen that movie a few <laughs> times, but I can't even point and say, oh, yeah, this is Effie. But thankfully, she was giving credit. So that's added to her resume today. She's on Broadway in Melbourne doing amazing stuff. So, you know, there are stories like that that don't make the news. You're exactly right. There's stories that need to be told. And, you know, exactly. I think with you and what with what I'm trying to do is we're changing the narrative about exactly. what people think and mm -hmm. you know along to add on to what you were just saying you know just in the last few years look at the influx of africans who are in movies you know mm -hmm. on stage exactly. you know, broadway like your friend mm -hmm. effie you know, look at yeah. you know even you mentioned wakanda that yeah. was like the biggest one that sparked it but we have exactly. 12 years of slave we have all these other movies that have come along yeah. and given you know open the doorway for you know african people to to be a part of this country exactly we celebrate Amazing. lupita nyongo today we celebrate you with Geofo, but yes. all these are africans and imagine if they hadn't been given the chance to you know show off what they've got right their skills and all that we wouldn't have had a chiwetel we wouldn't have had a lupita who go on to win an oscar and stuff like that so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm hoping eventually one day we get to a point where we can't even get someone like a Chiwetel on the show to tell the part of his story that hasn't been told, you know, that people don't know how he had to struggle as a Nigerian kid raised in, in the UK, how, what challenges he faced, how he overcame them, how he finally got his break and stuff like that. Yeah. And the stories of everyday people like, like my professor, who nobody probably would know if they never went to Adelphi, you know? Yeah. The unsung, <laughs> yeah. untold stories. Exactly. Exactly. Well, <clears throat> I think we should leave them on that note. Let us know how we can get in touch with you and how we can find the podcast and you know what to expect coming up. Okay. Well, the podcast is available on um, almost all the major platforms. It's on Apple, Google, Spotify, uh, Audible, everywhere. It's the Africa Talk podcast. The Africa doesn't have an end. I've I noticed a few people sometimes make the mistake of saying African talk. It's just Africa, then talk, and then podcast. So you can find it on all those platforms. And you can follow the show's handles on Twitter and Instagram. It's um, at Africa Talk Pod. It's the short version of the podcast. So just pod, Africa Talk Pod. And you can follow me on Twitter as well. Um, it's at me smart, like the word smart, and then N-I-I. So N-I-I-S. M-A-R-T, me smart on Twitter. And yeah, once you follow us, you'll get to know more of what the show is about, what we have. You get to see our guests every week. And yeah, there hopefully you, you become a convert like Marcus. That's right. You absolutely will. <laughs> I encourage everybody, please follow him and look and find his words on Twitter. I follow him on Twitter as well at Africa Talk Pod and go to Instagram, follow him there as well at me smart. 
Yeah. Me, I want to thank you very, very much. Continue doing the incredible work that you do, uplifting the people of Africa and, and shining. I want to thank you for that. And thank you for your inspiration thank to you. me as a podcaster. And I'm also <laughs> going to invite you and everybody can listen to this. Hopefully you can. I would love for you to have an episode on the One Mike Night podcast. We can. I will take okay. one of your episodes and put it on because I want sure. people to know the stories that you're putting out there. It's incredible. All right. Okay. Great. I look forward to that. Thank you All very right. much. Of course. <laughs> Everybody, thank you for joining me for this episode. Please make sure you comment below, share this episode, and like this episode if you can. Follow the show at One Mike Night. One Mike Night is spelled O-N-E-M-I-C-N-I-T-E. You can follow me at Marcos Luis, M-A-R-C-O-S-L-U-I-S. Go to the .com. You can find all the links on both OneMikeNight.com or MarcosLuis.com. Find out what I have coming up. This, once again, is part of the African Life series. Also, make sure you check out Global Lighthouse Studios, which we are partnering with to bring you some of the um, African schools that are in need of help. And that'll be listed in the episode notes below. Thank you for joining me for this episode. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.